0: Psalm 32, starting in verse number one. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. When I kept silence, my bones waxed through the through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me, my moisture is turned into the drought of summer, See Allah. I acknowledged my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I, hid, have, have I not hid. I said I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin, See Allah. For this shall every one that is godly pray unto thee, in a time when thou mayest be found. Surely in the, flood, in the floods of great waters they shall not come nigh unto him. Thou art my hiding place; thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance. Selah. I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. Be ye not as the horse or as the mule, which have no understanding, whose mouth must be held in with a bit and bridle, lest they come near unto thee. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he that trusteth in the Lord, mercy shall compass about him. Be glad in the Lord, and rejoice, ye righteous, and shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you again for being able to gather in your house. I know it's Wednesday. We're tired, Lord, from the day, from the week that has been uh, grinding hard upon us. But, Lord, I pray that you'll help us this evening to set aside the thoughts of things that are going on in our mind uh, or what we may do after this service, Lord, and help us just to focus but for a few minutes on the truth that has been preserved for us here in Psalms number 32. We give thanks to you for all that you've done. We thank you for your love and the grace and the mercy that you have bestowed upon us. We give thanks to you for all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. We have said in times past as we've studied the Psalms that there are many different types of Psalms. There are Psalms of joy like Psalms 100, there are Psalms of wisdom, like Psalms number one, there are imprecatory Psalms like Psalm number seven, but according to the superscription that is below the heading for Psalm number 32, this Psalm is a Psalm of skill. What it means here in this Psalm number 32, when he says it is a psalm of Mesquil, David is saying that this is a psalm that is intended to be taught. This is a psalm that if you follow it, you will find yourself educated. Educated on the important matters of this life. And if it's in the application that the psalmist gives us here in Psalm number 32 is just as applicable in our lives as the day the psalmist penned it. Here in Psalm number 32, in verse number one, he said, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Psalm 32 is a psalm about a man who sought forgiveness from the Lord for his sins and found it and was filled with great joy about it. But when he sought the Lord for forgiveness and found forgiveness in the Lord, he did not want to keep it to himself. He said, let me educate you about the foolishness of my sin and the consequences of sin in my life. And then let me turn around and tell you what it's like when the Lord forgives you. Of your sins. Many commentators believe that when David penned Psalm number 32, that he has spent the last year estranged from fellowship with the Lord. He had spent the last year not having any fellowship at all. This is on the heels of his sin with Bathsheba, the, the heels of his sin where he had Uriah put to death by putting him on the front of the line, and yet, though he was saved, hear me now, though he was saved, he continued in his sin. The psalmist will go on to tell us that failing to cut sin straight in his life had physical consequences in his life failing to acknowledge sin for what it is in his life caused him to suffer physically. It caused him to suffer emotionally. It caused him to suffer spiritually. He had arrived at a place where he was psychologically destroyed. Even more, he allowed himself to continue in this sin. But here, Right before Psalms number 32 was written, according to 2 Samuel chapter 12, there in the first number, first 12 verses, the Bible says that David was in sin, he was continuing in sin, but God sent Nathan unto David. And then there in the text it says that when God sent the prophet Nathan to David, Nathan began to tell David a story. He said there was a rich man and there was a poor man. There was a man who had a bunch of lambs and there was a man who had only one little lamb. And then this man who was rich with the many lambs took the one little lamb that this other man had. David, in anger and enraged at this story that he was told by the prophet Nathan, said the man who did this shall surely die. There, Nathan would unveil to him, we understand that David indeed was the man who took from another when he had no business. He was the man who was blessed, robbing from what we know to be Uriah. This is a terrible condition that we even see today, that David was able to diagnose Uriah's condition. I mean, David was able to diagnose this other rich man's condition. He was able to condemn somebody else's sin. He was able to see that what this story that Nathan had given, that there was one who was wrong and that there was one who was right, yet he had failed to cut it straight in his own life. That's us today. Today we're able to watch the news and see somebody who commits a crime and say, they're wrong. It's easy for us to watch the news and see somebody who does something wrong. And even we were so bold at times that it's easy for us to pronounce a judgment upon them. But Psalms 32 brings us to the reality that it's oftentimes easy for us to pronounce judgment upon someone else but it's not as easy to let go of sin in our lives or to even pronounce judgment upon ourselves. We fail to cut it straight. J. Wilbur Chapman, who was an evangelist in the 19th century, said this, that one time he was preaching in Australia and pastoring there in Australia. And as he was pastoring in Australia, the church members came to him after the services really just, a couple of the head deacons and came to him and said that, we, wanted, we want you to stop talking about sin so plainly. He, the deacon believed by speaking about sin so plainly and so much that it would cause the children in the church to be easily given in to sin because they'll start to think that everybody sins. J. Wilbur Chapman, it is said in his diary that he went over to the cabinet and pulled out strychnine, which is, for us, we know rat poison. He says, so let me understand what you are saying. You're asking me to take and change the label on this strychnine, and instead of saying rat poison, you're asking me to place upon it the essence of peppermint, He said, you see, the more mild you make the label, the more dangerous it makes the poison. You see, sin is exactly what it is. It's sin. It's a... Trespass, it's an offense against a thrice holy God. When we try to justify who we are or sanctify our sinful actions in which we cannot do, the only thing we're trying to do is put the label essence of peppermint upon what God has called sin. David here in his life realized that he had found himself in a place where he had committed sin but instead of repenting for his sin he labeled it the essence of peppermint it continued on in his life but what he says here in verse number two and four or two three and four is that though he labeled it different it did not change what it was with God and it had destructive consequences in his life recognize he says when I Kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night, thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer, Selah. I acknowledged my sin unto thee, and my iniquity have I not hid. I said I will confess my transgression unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin, Selah. I want to back up here for a minute to further explain something. David recognized that his transgression, his sin, not only affected him. This is something that we fail at today. Do you recognize that your sin? doesn't only affect you it doesn't only affect you today i was chapped i went into the kitchen and i was wanting to make a sandwich and i put the bread down and i put the mayonnaise on the bread and i put the turkey on the bread and when i reached over to the fruit basket and pulled a tomato out you can argue whether it's a vegetable or a uh, fruit later but i pulled it out of the fruit basket and looked at it and it was beautiful but on the other side of the tomato it was rotten I turned around and threw it in the garbage and turned back around and was even more disappointed when I seen that that tomato was sitting on the top of the other tomato in the same place that was rotting on that tomato had passed on to the other tomato. Where they had touched each other, the rot from one began to rot the other. David began to realize in his life on his way to repenting and on his way to getting things right with God, that his transgressions not only afflicted him, but it uh, it afflicted others who were around him. It caused other people to experience spiritual decay. He recognized the spiritual consequences for those who were around him. Well, where do we see that? Here in this word, when he said, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. This word transgression, it comes from the word pesha in Hebrew. Now for us, it's what? Just nothing simple. It just means a transgression. But for the Hebrew tongue, it is an inclusive term, not exclusive. Meaning when you word this, when you use this word, blessed is he whose transgression, it includes a threefold aspect of transgression. Meaning that ultimately when we sin, we sin against God, but understand that your transgression not only affects your relationship with God. Under the word pesha, it means transgression against God, against man, and against country. You see, David in this confession, when he says, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. David is saying that I have, I sinned and my sin not only affected me, but it affected my nation. Not only did it affect my nation, but it affected those who were around me. Well, how did it do that, David? Well, what did Nathan end up telling David? The son that you have was going to die. Even more, not only did it affect those who were around him, but when David failed in this sin, he failed to be the leader who he was supposed to be in this nation. And even more, this is a great truth passed on to us today. We get aggravated and frustrated when we watch the news and when we watch our Senate and our our representatives. When they make mistakes, we say, man, they are failing this country. Man, they're really letting us down. Based on Psalms 32, David says when you live with sin in your life and you do not repent of your sins, you not only fail yourself, but you fail the nation in which you live in because you fail to be the light that you're supposed to be. You fail not only the nation in which you live in. God looks upon you the way you look on crooked representatives You are failing to represent me in the way I have commanded you. Even more, he says that not only do we fail this nation in which we live, matter of fact, if you complain on the way representatives live crooked, don't complain on them if you're living crooked too. We got to learn to cut it right. Even more, he says, not only did we fail our nation But we fail those who are around us. We fail those in the church when we decide to live in sin. We fail those who live in our home when we decide to live in sin. And just as simple as those tomatoes, our rot passes on to those who are closest to us. He said, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. David said, I recognize that there is a threefold failure when it comes to my transgression, but let me tell you, I know I failed in three different ways, not only my nation, not only my family, not only my relationship with God, but this psalm is about restoration. Happy is a man who, when he fails those around him, when he fails his nation, when he Fails God, happy is the man whose transgressions are forgiven. Happy is that person who, though they fell short, though they realize that they came up short with God, blessed is the man, happy is the man who has been restored by the one they failed. It's sin we recognize also in this statement. Happy is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. It is to bring to an understanding that when you decide to live with sin in your life, when you decide to do things that are wrong and, and live a life that is not glorifying to God, when you decide to live in such a way, it means that you have failed to experience the happiness that God intended you to have. You failed to experience true joy. You may be out in the world, you may be committed to your sin. Bible never said that sin wasn't good, it says it's only good for a season. You could definitely get that testimony out of David. He sure may have been good, but it wasn't good in the end for him. I believe even though David had Solomon and he would be the next king, if David had the opportunity to do it all over, he would have done it different. Even more, he says, happy is the man whose transgression is forgiven. Happy is the man whose sin is covered. Now, when something's covered, it cannot be seen. When something's covered, you can look hard for it, but you cannot find it. It doesn't matter how diligently you search, it was hidden. David said, "I I like this. Not only am I happy that I've been forgiven, but I'm happy that the sin that I had in my life has been covered up so well you can't find it. Uh, Now, understand here that this is kind of, he's, the psalmist is using the imagery of Leviticus. He's painting the imagery of the atonement. We, We understand that, There in the Old Testament, I think it's Leviticus chapter 17, when they would sacrifice there the lamb, that they would walk into the Holy of Holies. And there, as the priest would enter into the Holy of Holies, he would take the blood and place it upon the mercy seat. And when the blood would hit the mercy seat, the sins of Israel would be covered. Even more, we understand that In the Old Testament, the 17th chapter was given to us in a twofold way. There was a sacrifice, and that the blood would be taken from and put into the mercy seat, but we understand even more that there was an escape goat there who would be led by a fit man out into the wilderness, and as it was led out into the wilderness, it would be let go, and as it was crossing over the hilltop, the tradition says that Israel would cry, there goes our sins, there goes our sins. So here when he's saying this, that it is covered, it is a twofold thing. It has not only been covered under the blood, but it is never to be seen and get. Now we understand that in the New Testament, who we are today, our sins are covered because of what Christ did on Calvary. He is both the sacrifice and the scapegoat. He both shed his blood for us and casted our sins as far as the east is. From the west. It's been covered. It's under the blood. He said happy is the man whose. Failures to the nation. To the family. To the world. To my own spiritual life. Has been removed. And even happier. They've been covered under the blood. Happy is the man whose transgression is forgiven. And whose sin is covered. Even more. Blessed is the man. Whom. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity and in whose spirit there is no guile. David is saying happy is the person who the Lord does not count their iniquity upon him. The Lord did not put that on David because David said there is no guile found in him to even put upon us. At the hand of the Lord, we have only experienced love, grace, and his mercy. But as he found himself rejoicing, as he found himself reminiscing in his life, it's like he almost began to ever wonder why he waited so long to confess his sin. Like he wondered why he ever waited so long to even repent. We Ask ourselves this even in our own lives. We said, for day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer selah. I acknowledge my sin unto thee and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. And thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Many, as I said, believe a year had passed since David had entered into this sin. He said he was so committed to this sin that he he didn't even really want to let go. It was a burden to his conscience. Understand this. It was a burden to his conscience, yet he still chose to continue on. He said, I even understood this. I understood that, that my bones were literally wasting away because of my sin. I understood that my vitality and my physical stamina was the Lord's heavily, heavy hand laid upon me. He said my, his sin inflicted his body. He said it drained him. It's so agonized. He was emotionally distraught. He even ends in saying, I was groaning all the day. This is where his sin had even brought him. This does not seem to shake hands with our faith, that we believe that God is forgiveness. We believe that God forgives sins, and yet though we believe that God forgives sins, we latch a hold of our sins so much that we can feel God's afflicting hand upon us, that we can feel God's chastening hand upon us, and yet we still will not let go of our sin. But that's where David was. Verse number five, he said, I acknowledged my sin unto thee. Mine iniquity have I not hid. I said I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. Thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. This is the changing point of this psalm. David says This is why this is an educational psalm. David here is is teaching those who read and those who hear that it not only shows the condition of the forgiven, they are happy, but it also shows the condition of those who are in sin. But even more, it shows the path to happiness. You see, David says this is why this is an educational psalm. Because you might be here today and found yourself in sin. You might have been here today and found yourself under the affliction of sin in this world, captive. Well, how do I get to this happiness? David said here, I acknowledged my sin unto thee. This is why it's educational. If you want to get happy, if you want to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, the first thing you have to do is acknowledge your sin to the Lord. You have to confess your sin. You have to repent of your sin and then ask to be restored with him. This is what the psalmist says educate the people, educate all those who read and hear that there is a way to be happy in the Lord. No more. I acknowledge my sin. He, he there was no reason to continue to cover up who you were. See, when we are in sin, we try to cover up our sin. But David said, I acknowledged my sin. There's no reason to cover up what happened with Uriah. There's no more reason to cover up what happened with Bathsheba. There's no reason to cover up God's judgment upon me with my child. He said, I acknowledged my sin, and I did not hide my iniquity. I confessed my transgressions, and the Lord forgave me. So to the person who hears this psalm, he says in verse six, "For this shall every one that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. Surely in the floods of great waters, they shall not come nigh unto thee." This is a this verse number six is a is a is a verse of urging. It's a verse that says. If you have sin in your life, look what he says. For this shall everyone that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. Understand what he's saying here. Confess your sins while you still have the chance. That's what he's saying. When thou mayest be found is to emphasize that there will come a day when he won't be found. There's coming a day when it will be too late to confess your sins. Sins, There'll be no getting your prayer right at the judgment seat. There's not going to be accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior at the judgment seat or at the great white throne judgment then. There's not going to be getting your spiritual life in check at the judgment seat. He says there, confess it, get it right, pray unto him when thou mayest be found. Then he says, surely in the floods of great waters, they shall not come nigh unto him. This is like Genesis chapter 6 language. When the floods came and crashed down upon the earth, when God had shut the door on the ark, they was unavailable to find safety. There was no way into the ark. They mocked it while it was available. They mocked the, the Noah for 120 years, but when God shut the door, no one was able to enter in. And even today, people mock Jesus, they mock their need of Jesus, they mock that they need to be forgiveness of sins, but the psalmist says, listen, there's coming a day when you won't even get the chance to get it right, so get it right now. Even more. Verse number eight and nine, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye, be ye not as the horse or as the mule, which have no understanding, whose mouth must be held in with bit and bridle, lest they come near unto thee david said i'm, I'm on i'm not on I'm not the other side of this. I'm not on the other side of this, but for those who are around me, I'm going to teach you on the basis of my own personal experience about the way you should not go. He said, don't be like me. Look again here very closely. I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way thou shalt go. Okay. I'm going to tell you in the way you should go. I will guide thee with mine eye. This is David speaking. I'm going to tell you, Israel, about the way you should go. Be ye not as the horse or as the mule, which have no understanding, who must be held in with bit and bridle, lest they come near unto thee. David says, listen, I'm going to tell you, don't be like me. Don't be like me who was stubborn who was like the horse or or like the mule who had the bit and the bridle in and knew the way that the Lord was leading him, and yet he refused to go. Proverbs chapter 26 and verse 3 says, A whip for the horse, a bridle for the ass, and a rod for the fool's back. David said, Let me bring this home for you. Do not go the way in which I went. The bit and the bridle, They're there to lead you, to follow you in the Lord's way. But if you refuse to go, you can expect the Lord's chastening hand. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he that trusteth in the Lord's mercy shall compass about him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, ye righteous. Shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. What a song. What a song for us to not only be instructed in our lives today that we should never find ourselves in a place that we're so committed and clinging and held to our sins that we think that we can hold to our sins and still walk the Christian life. David says, listen, go that way. <laughs> Refuse to be led by the Lord, but don't forget and don't ever think that the rod is not coming. The rod is coming. He will do what it takes. The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, ye righteous, and shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we... Thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you for this opportunity to even be in your house, Lord. To read your word, to study your word, to gain understanding of your word. I pray that we search our own hearts. And Lord, may we never, even in our own lives, relabel sin. May we never try to relabel things so that we can feel comfortable in that which we do. May we always recognize sin is sin, that sin is always sin against you, and we don't have the rights to relabel what you call sin in our lives. We give thanks to you for your love, your grace, and your mercy upon us. In Jesus' name, amen.